So if you have a copy of God's Word, could you take it and turn to actually Genesis? We're going to be looking at especially at Genesis 48 and 49. So the first book of the Bible, Genesis 48 and Genesis 49. If you could um, just make your way there. And as you're making your way there, I wanted to ask you a question. It kind of direct our thoughts today. What are, here's the question, what are two or three things that you feel pretty confident that heaven will be like? Or, or that will be in heaven? So two to three things that you feel pretty confident that heaven will be like or these things will be in heaven. It isn't, it isn't a small question. Assuming you believe in heaven, and, and I don't take for granted that everybody that gathers with us would believe that, but, but assuming you did, assuming you believe in heaven or the afterlife, and like once you get past some of the silly things like, oh, I sure hope heaven has that, you know, is it, once you get past some of those kinds of things, like seriously, for heaven to be heaven, what are you confident like it, it will have this? And I'd love for you to even, I know several people take notes, it, it probably wouldn't even be a bad thing to jot a couple of those things down just to think about. And I'm going to ask you to actually hold that thought for a little bit, and we'll come back there in a second, and I'll tell you why I wanted us to start there. We've been going through the end of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and particularly we've been directing our attention to the life of Joseph. And to talk about Joseph is also to talk about his dad, Jacob, and also to talk about Joseph is to talk about his brothers and all, all the ways their lives interacted. And so even today we're talking about Jacob and the brothers, even as we're focusing on the life of Joseph. But as you get to the end of Genesis, what you realize is you're much closer to the end of this story than, than the beginning. Like Genesis 40 and 49, things are wrapping up. Things are coming to a close. And one thing that comes up again and again in these last couple of chapters, really starting in chapter 47, 48, 49, one thing that comes across is the word blessing, the word blessings mentioned. So in Genesis 47, verse 7 and verse 10, it says that Jacob blesses Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then in Genesis chapter 48, Verse 2, Jacob recalls his life, but he recalls it and frames it in this way, God bless me. The word is there again. And then Jacob's grandchildren are in front of him, and it says in Genesis 48 and verse 20 that he blessed his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he calls all his children together, and there he also, it says he also blesses them. So we got this subject again and again of blessing and it's front and center and the concept of blessing let me just kind of lay my cards on the table the the concept of blessing I've read it like most of my life as I've read the Bible and I, I don't know that I've ever been totally clear on exactly what's going on with that it's used in a lot of different ways and I want to dig deep and understand it and and I feel like as we've as we've been in Genesis as I've personally been giving some time to studying this I feel like there's more clarity but I do feel like I've had questions for a long time on like, okay, what is blessing? Is it, is it, you know, some sort of series of words that just kind of functions as a charm or a magic spell? I know that like that's not in the Bible, but it's just my inclination is to think, is that what a blessing is? It, does it function in that way that I kind of confer some good things on somebody by just saying something? And, and then that brings me to another question, like if I just 
say a blessing over someone, does that mean like it's guaranteed to happen? And that's something, you know, I mean, that causes lots of questions for me. If I can just say something, is that the way all this works? So I feel like I've, a lot of had, I've had a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty. I'm pretty sure even after studying this week, I'm nowhere close to figuring all of this subject out. But I do, I do feel like I have more answers than I did before, and I'd love to share a little bit with you. For me, one of the keys to opening up this understanding of blessing, even before we dig into Genesis 48 and 49, was this description of a blessing, and I've modified it a little bit from what I came across, but the description is this. Blessings are the presence of the benefits of heaven here and now. And, and I, there's so many things about that definition, description that are helpful to me. Blessings are the presence of the benefits of heaven, but localized, like here and now. So when we say someone is blessed, we do think of things like benefits. We think of good things, desirable things, beneficial things that have happened to someone. But this description that, that I'm talking about is actually a little bit more. So it's, it's not just like good things coming your way. It's actually the presence of some of the benefits of heaven right in your life right now. And so when I asked you a moment ago to think about, like, what do you feel like, what do you believe heaven would include? What do you think some of those benefits of heaven would mean? I mean, part of the reason I asked is for us to begin thinking of some of the amazing things. So certainly, I think we would say that, I mean, there have to be all kinds of answers to that with a group this size, but some of those might include a peace, like world, worldwide, global sort of peace instead of war. In a year like we've just experienced the last 365 days, I mean, we would have to say heaven would, it, would be no disease, but would be complete health. It would have to mean not dealing with death, but actually life. Heaven would have to be, like as you, as you think further, it would have to be like forgiveness, no objective guilt and no subjective shame that we might feel like we have to carry. Heaven would have to include like close, loyal relationships where there's, there's no, no chance of betrayal, but relationships that will be stable. It would have to include freedom. So for all the times you don't feel free to be yourself and certainly free to be yourself in God, it would have to be like what freedom that would bring. And speaking of a relationship with God, it, like that has to be somewhere in the form of like what, what would can we be absolutely confident that heaven will include means that we are with God, free from running, free from hiding, free from sinning, the world working as it's supposed to work. When we say blessing, it is helpful for me to think through, okay, because I, I can get a picture of that. And then go, okay, what would that look like in, in some taste of that here and now? To experience some of that. So when I'm talking about like blessing someone, this is more than just wishing them luck. I mean, you can go ahead and do that if you want to and wish someone luck and that's, that's fine. I'm actually saying blessing is something so much more worth, worth thinking through all the blessings and benefits of heaven right here and now. That sounds different to me than just telling someone good luck. What it recognizes, too, as we talk about blessing in these ways is we recognize, yeah, the presence of that kind of blessing would be so good because this world is so messed up. We want the 
those kinds of things. We want to think about those kinds of things because we live in a world that is broken. And, and I, I was so encouraged and helped by Sean's prayer because even part of that is recognizing this is not God's original design. And that's absolutely true in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Lots of things are, are blessed. And there's nothing in Genesis 1 or 2 that's going sideways or getting messed up. In Genesis 1 and 2, the humanity itself, men and women, are blessed. Even the animals are blessed, it says. God blesses the Sabbath. You read deeper into Genesis and you get like blessings of individuals and families and whole nations get blessed. But you read very far into Genesis. By the time you're in Genesis 3, you actually read something very different from blessings. You read of this world because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. Like the world is messed up and relationships are messed up and internally we know something's not right between us and God. And so when we contrast the world we live in with the presence of heaven here and now, it is something significant. So when we pray, I think one of the things we're doing is we're, we're saying my intention is that like some of the heaven breaks through right here. That, that's part of what we're praying. In this world that is just messed up and, and decaying, I'm praying God bring some portion of heaven here. And by the way, when we pray that way, we're not, it's not as if we're forcing his hand. He's sovereign. We're not. So ancient religions, like you kind of back God into a corner with your words of blessing like this, but not according to scripture. Actually, you're not going to beat God to the, the punch on blessing. This is his intention. This is his design. He is merciful. He's gracious. So he's always going to be interested in blessing his creation. So we're not forcing his hand. Blessings start with him. But again, blessings are the presence of benefits of heaven here and now. So let's, let's think through that. And, and I'd love to take each verse of chapter 48 and chapter 49. I'd love to take each of those verses apart. I actually don't have time to do that. But if anybody wants a five or six hour seminar sometime, I'd love to oblige you there. We'll do that another time. But for today, I think what we're going to need to do to appreciate kind of the big picture of what we're doing is almost get up. Uh, to a certain level and just look down at some, a selection of things so we won't go by uh, every single verse. But I do want to share with you some realizations that I found about blessings that I think are right there in our passage today. So one of the first realizations that I came to and have come to in reading this over this, the course of this week is that blessings take unexpected turns. Not always, but often. Blessings take unexpected turns. Sometimes I don't see blessings coming. I never would have predicted it. So there are friends that God has put into my life. I, I never saw that friendship like functioning that way, but God has blessed me because of that. There are things related to my family that I, I never would have seen that coming. It's, it was unexpected. There are things about work or job. I mean, things that form us into who we are that are very, very unexpected. I, there's, an, there's an unexpected element to the blessings in Genesis 48. So with all that, can we begin reading Genesis 48 and verse 1? Look at what God's word says. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And it was told to Jacob that your son Joseph has come to you. So Jacob, or Israel, summoned his strength, sat up in bed. So he is obviously at a, a difficult spot. But Jacob said to Joseph, recounts his story, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me, and he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And then notice in an unexpected twist, this is what Jacob says to Joseph, now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they, they will be mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, just like Reuben and Simeon are. So skip down to verse 9. Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. It's such a moving moment, just worth thinking about. Like Jacob is coming to the end of his life, and I think he's afforded the privilege that I hope all of us, like all of us have, as if there are bridges we've burned, relationships that we've blown up. Like what a gift to be able to, I mean, you can't change the past. But what a gift to be able to, like, talk with your kids and your grandkids, kind of recount your story. How moving it, it is here. What if, what if you could tie up some loose ends and die without regret? I mean, that's an awesome privilege that Jacob has. And before he is gone from this world, he wants to offer a blessing that he has received. He wants to offer that to his children and his grandchildren. And what's significant to me, the unexpected Part of this is that he actually blesses his grandchildren before his children. That's just not done in ancient times. It's not done in Scripture like this. You always start with your children. But Jacob goes to the grandchildren, and he says, you are going to kind of rise in the level of your inheritance. So if you had kind of had a one-layer-down inheritance, now you're going to have a great inheritance. And Joseph, almost with these two sons, has a double inheritance because they're rising to the level of a direct heir of Jacob. The grandchildren before the children, why, why does that happen? And so Joseph gets ready for his grandchildren. I mean, that would be unexpected enough, but Joseph places Manasseh and Ephraim in he Manasseh's the oldest, so he places him by Jacob's right hand, because in that culture, and in most ancient cultures, the right hand was the, the sign of blessing, and so he places the oldest, just like they would do a thousand times, place the oldest at the right hand, and, and you can read the story in verses 13 to 19, but it, as Jacob goes to bless Manasseh, the firstborn, and Ephraim, the secondborn, he actually crosses his hands in a sign saying, they both will be blessed, but the secondborn is going to be the one who inherits the greater blessing here. Again, it's unexpected. Grandchildren before children, secondborn before the firstborn. There's an order, there's a pattern. Like everybody in ancient, ancient Near Eastern culture would have known, that's, that's not the pattern. You've broken the protocol. So the question might be, why? And why, when, when tradition isn't followed, what's going on? And I would say, 
There are probably lots of things going on, but at least one of those I'm convinced is that when tradition isn't followed like this, when protocols aren't exactly followed in the exact same way, God is doing work and he's doing something special. Like, yeah, yeah, church, let's lean in to understand exactly what's going on. God's signaling something when he accepts Abel's offering over Cain's, when he, Isaac is the son of promise, not Ishmael, when King David is the one who is anointed and not the brothers. He's signaling something to us again and again and again. God is showing us that there are times where he will show up in in lives and do something very unexpected. This is the nature of who he is. This is the nature of his grace. So many times in scripture we have this description. So in Ephesians 2, there's this description of people, human beings like you and I, And it says we are in darkness and actually says we're dead in the trespasses and our sins. We're we're in darkness and we're dead. And, And we are the people that God says, by grace I'm going to save you. Not the ones who deserve it, not the ones who seem to have found the light. Not the ones who seem like alive to do everything right. No, it's the ones... In darkness. I read in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6, and it's this list of all sorts of uh, immorality, things that would just be like a moral, a moral train wreck. And what God says is all those things that you would think would make you dirty and unclean, now because of Christ, you're, you're washed. It, it is this, this work of God. And, and even we hear it when Jesus, like his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, like the first one that we have recorded. He starts that off with what we call the Beatitudes, and they're really blessings. And what he does in the blessings is he just inverts everything where we would say, I'll tell you who the blessed people are in the world. Like the blessed people are the ones who are on top, those who have it all together, those that don't lack for anything. And he says, no, no, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the the humble, blessed are the ones who are persecuted, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. These are the kinds of pictures God wants us to have in mind. Like there's this intention where... He is just going to show grace even when we don't deserve it. He's going to show up with that grace in unexpected ways. We get small pictures of that and um, even in human interaction where, yeah, someone doesn't deserve it, but you make a decision to love them anyway. I think I see it and hear it most centrally with conversations I have with my wife, Shauna, who teaches preschool. And so there, there are kids in preschool that it's, it's a joy to teach them because it's easy, they are compliant, they always do what they're supposed to do, it's no hesitation. And then there are others. I'm pretty sure I know what I would have been in preschool. But I love hearing uh, Shauna's heart, not for the kid, I mean, she loves all of them, of course, but, but the kid where... It's not that easy, and it would be easy for teachers to write them off and be easier for teachers to go, you know what, I'm just not going to mess with that. Like, it's, it's like the true calling of a teacher that leans in to go, I know the way you've acted in this class hasn't deserved uh, love and those, those sorts of things, but like, that's off the table. I'm going to love you because I love you. I'm going to love you because I believe there's a plan for your life. I believe there's something you can learn. And, and that's just a small taste. Imagine doing that perfectly over and over again. Imagine doing that with hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people, billions of people. And now we're getting even a taste of God saying, I'm going to love you. And and surely this has to come to us as like, 
in a thousand ways, I never should have been shown grace. In a thousand ways, I should never be able to sing, thank you, God, for saving me. And in a million ways, that should be the case. But God, just because this is who he is, blesses people in unexpected ways. I, I want you to have that realization, and then I want to add to that realization that that blessing that comes in un- unexpected ways, also that, those blessings operate in a broken world. So that's the second realization, as you read in Genesis 48 and 49, is as amazing as the blessing, the idea of blessing, a a piece of heaven here and now, that is always going to operate in a broken world. After Genesis 3, humanity constantly experiences limits to the blessing, which doesn't make the blessings less, but it's a tough picture. So what do I mean when, like, the blessings operate in a broken world? Well, Genesis 49 is somewhat of a strange chapter. It starts in verse 1 in this way. Jacob calls his sons and he says, I want you to gather together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come, which surely to me sounds like, almost like predictions or prophecies. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen down the road. But actually, you read Genesis 49 and he, he does some of that, but he also kind of reviews their history. And then when it comes to the end in Genesis 49 verse 28, it says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. After going tribe by tribe, individual after individual, son after son, it says, this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. What's odd, and and you could read Genesis 49 for a while and like record all the questions you have. I'm positive you might have a hundred questions from Genesis 49. It It is a different kind of chapter in the Bible. Because while all these things are called blessings, you actually begin to read Like, what he says to Reuben doesn't sound like a blessing. And it doesn't sound like it to Simeon and Levi either. And you read what he says to Dan, and you read what he says to Gad, and you read what he says to Benjamin, and you go, these don't sound like blessings at all. And some of this seems like attached to some of the way they lived, and then some of it, like Benjamin, it's like, I don't see much of any connection to how he lived, and yet it seems like your your descendants, this is what, it's generally going to be look like, look like. But other sons don't get like the negative side of things. They get the positive side. Like especially Joseph, especially Judah. They really get what I feel like, okay, that is a blessing. So how is all this working? Well, it's how blessings operate in a broken world. It's mixed. And all you have to do is read Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. All you have to read is Jonah, Daniel, Ezra. I mean, you could, let's just read them all, and you realize God does some amazing things with this family, and it's like super complicated. And some individuals in these tribes do some horrendously wicked things. And this is, this is how blessings operate in a broken world. Some benefit of heaven is present, and yet a lot of things are challenging. I mean, there are definitely weeks that we have, surely you've had them, where one day it feels like this is amazing. It's one of the best days of my life, only for a day right behind it or maybe the next week to feel like my world just shattered. There are things that God gives us like family and friends, and marriage, and 
kids and and some of those things are like absolutely the greatest blessings of your life and we would also have to say it causes some of the most painful challenging things that we've ever had to deal with god gave you personality and god gave you a certain temperament and god gave you emotions and sometimes those are like you're so grateful god gave you what you what you have and then sometimes you look in the mirror and go my personality isn't an asset it's like a liability and my the way I'm wired and the way, the way I think about that and, and like my emotions now have become like hard to deal with instead of something that, that is easy for me to deal with. And, and this is just life in a broken world. And I want you to hear like God works not in some ideal world, God works in the real world. And I, and I think there's even more that we can say here because when God works in the real world, it also is working permanently in the real world. Like definitively in the real world. So even the presence of bad choices and terrible mistakes and years of wandering, even lifelong struggles, seasons of doubt, grief and hurt and, and distance, none of these things are saying God, God doesn't, apparently he didn't with this family, he doesn't go, you know what? You messed up, or three strikes and you're out. There's something permanent about his promises and his love to this family. How can I say it's permanent? What just strikes me that in Revelation 21, when heaven is being described, and, and, and sure, some of this is symbolic language, but it's interesting why this word choice is, is said. When, when the gates of heaven are described, it says there are 12 gates, and above each gate is the name of the tribes. So even the ones that get negative blessings from our standpoint, like are permanently part of New Jerusalem, the gates of New Jerusalem. God says, I I love them in such a way that even where there are bad decisions, even when life is like not a straight line, my love is set on this family. This is because God's love is permanent. Where you and I are moody, and I can get frustrated with even people I care about. Where I can go, you know what, I just don't feel like dealing with you today. And, and maybe not for a while. And cross this line and maybe not ever. God comes again and again and again. And one, he may be revisiting you today. Even though you've been like running the opposite way. He's tracked you down to remind you that he loves you. Blessings operate in a broken world. And because of how blessings work... It does point me to another realization, and that is that blessings point to Jesus, which I don't think it's going to come as any shock that I would say, like, I see Jesus in this. But let me tell you how. Let me tell you why I see Jesus in here. Because when we're talking about the blessings, all the benefits of heaven, here and now, what does Jesus have to do with Jacob and Joseph? I know it's all like in the same Bible, but like, what do they really have to do? with each other. One of Jacob's descendants, actually his fourth son, Genesis 49, here's the blessing to Judah. Pay attention to the words here. So again, the first three did not get uh, such great words spoken over them, but Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. 
Your father's son shall bow down before you. I mean, it's poetic language, but it's pointing us to something. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son. You've gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who would mess with him? Who dares rouse him? And then verse 10, the, the scepter won't depart from Judah. The ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Did you notice some of the royal language in there? Like the scepter, rule, tribute, obedience, people bowing down, even the lion. Talk about the lion, you know, the king of the jungle. You know what the nation of Israel understood this to mean is that kings would come from the tribe of Judah. Priests come from the tribe of Levi. Kings come from the tribe of Judah. So when it came time for God to, to anoint a king after his heart, he anoints David from the tribe of Judah, Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah. But again, like how does that pointing to Jesus? Well, we're told, we're told when we're introduced to God in flesh, Jesus, when Jesus makes his earthly arrival in Matthew and Luke, like it traces his genealogy and he is said to be from the tribe of Judah. He's a descendant of Judah. He's got a, a, a royal lineage. And Matthew and Luke both make that extremely clear. That's why it goes back to Judah. Also, he's born in Bethlehem, which is in the region of Judah or Judea. Even in Revelation 5.5, 5, Jesus in all of his power and authority on the throne He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. I don't know all of what Jacob saw or what was communicated to him through the Holy Spirit, but he is pointing us forward to Jesus. And the blessings point us to Jesus. That connection is strong, but there's another, another connection. It's not just in Matthew and Luke. I think there's a, a strong connection as well. Because as you're pointed to Jesus and as you think about the blessings, you go, well, yeah, but to bring blessings, you have to deal with the brokenness of the world. To like invade this world of brokenness with a touch of heaven, you have to deal with the brokenness of this world. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He did it in a very unexpected way. He did it with like scars in his hands and his body bloodied. But he dealt with the full elements of the worst of the world. As a matter of fact, Galatians 3 says, as he was on the cross, he is becoming a curse for us. Like all that, all the darkness of the world, all the sin, all the consequences of it, all the demonic and satanic things thrown against him, all the rebellion, all the heartbreak, all the death, all the things that messed up the world. On the cross, he is absorbing all of that, all the punishment. No wonder he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there is something that happens on the cross and certainly that happens in the resurrection and that is when he rises from the dead, having taken all of that and still comes to life. That's why we celebrate Good Friday and it's why we really celebrate Easter. It's because in doing that, he is ushering in a new age of blessings, not fantasy land, not just, oh, well, I wish it would. He is ushering something new where we're getting a taste now, and it's going to be fully developed one day when we meet the Lord. But it is an age where the promises and the blessings of God aren't, aren't mixed anymore. Like, no, it's full experience of those things. Oh, in this world, they're mixed. 
but the age that Jesus is bringing in through the death and resurrection, through his ascension to heaven, means every spiritual blessing he's giving to you. So yeah, you don't get it, and we don't experience it in full measure, but the reconciliation we long for with God, we get a taste of that here. The peace that we want, that we know we need, we get a taste of that here. The forgiveness that we know we need to to deal with who we are and what we've done, we get a taste of that here. The freedom to be who we are, freed from sinning. We, we know it's not perfect yet, but we, we're not enslaved. Sin is not our master anymore. Do you, do you see this? We get a taste of it. We get a taste of it. So blessings are pointing us to, you want a taste of heaven right here and now? Then put your life in Christ because in Christ we have every spiritual blessing even if it is just a taste now. I, I think this has given me a ton of things to think about, but, I, but I'm positive it has changed and like directed and kind of focused my thinking in a few areas, and I just want to share these with you, and then we'll be done. I, I definitely think walking this road of blessing and getting new categories and a new idea has changed and, and really impacted the way I think about prayer. I was taught as a kid, probably like many of us were taught, the Lord's Prayer where you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think, what is that but a prayer for blessing? Well, yeah, I want to pray that for people that I love. For this church family that I love so much, yeah, I want to pray that. I want God's will to be done. Like, I I want blessings on their life. I want, just as, as we'll always experience in heaven for eternity, I want a taste of that now. It affects how I see prayer. It certainly affects how I think about the cross. I'm glad for Paulus saying, lead, it, lead me to the cross. Like, focus my attention there because at that moment, everything changed. The curse of sin no longer, like, had this hold over my life. It was broken. So, yeah, I want my focus to be at the cross where blessings are coming to me. And then the last last thing it's made me think about is my own calling, why God's put me where he has, and our church's calling. So why has God put you in the relationships he has and the network of people around you with the gifts and skills he has? So Jacob was an agent of God's blessing, and I wonder, have you thought of yourself as that? Have you thought of yourself as the ability to communicate by your life, by your words, a piece of heaven here and now. I mean, this world is a dark, dark, hard, hard place. The people we encounter constantly are going to get messages saying, you'll never be forgiven, you'll never atone for your past, you'll never be different than any family member, you'll never measure up, You'll never get better. You'll never figure things out. You'll never have anyone love you. You'll never have anyone accept you. And then could it be that God disperses Christians like like us? And could it be when he gathers Christians like us into a place like at least for a moment, at least in a relationship, at least for for an hour or so so on a Sunday, there's a, a recognition of, you know, in this place, while the world may give you nothing but but curses and awful things on your life. In this place, there is a taste of heaven, the full benefits of heaven in this place, with these people, with our lives, 
And yes, we're not going to do that perfectly. Yes, we won't, we won't measure up to all that we want to be, but could it be that you envision your life with your kids, with your grandchildren, with your nieces, with your nephews, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors of, I could be an agent of God's blessing and give them just a taste of what it's going to be like forever in the new heavens and new earth. May God make it so. May God distribute like his blessings through us in this area and do it again and again and again. Let me ask him to do that. So yes, Lord, we need your help in this. Father, by your good designs, I pray that you would remind us of how blessed we are. And if there is someone who has not experienced the blessings that come in Jesus Christ through faith, I pray that they would. You know how to direct those conversations. You know how to direct those hearts. But I pray we as your people would be such people of grace where we can look into the world you've called us and we can bring, even if it's a miniature version, even if it's an incomplete version, even if it's an imperfect version, we can bring a taste of as it is in heaven, we want it done on earth. So Lord, you can do this, we cannot. Uh, Do a million good things through our lives. May we be agents of your blessing. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.